Coming up, what are some positive and negative trends for the D-backs as they enter the month of June? We're going to all down for you next. Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Miller Thomas of Locked On Diamondbacks here. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account or look up Locked On Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked On Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners sharing subscribing reviewing doing all that so i could do this podcast for you thank you it's free and available on all platforms so please continue to tell your friends segment number two we're going to be talking about three negative trends for the d-backs based off stats from the first two months of the season segment number three we'll do the same thing but three positive trends for the d-backs but before we get to the positives and negatives about the d-backs 22 season i first need to discuss that final game against the atlanta braves because the d-backs took the first two games against the reigning champs but they dropped the final game of the series six nothing d-backs are now two games below 500 25 and 27 on the season they're just 14 and 16 at home but guess what the D-backs still have a better record than those reigning Orioles Series champs Atlanta Braves because the Braves are only 24 and 27 so still a very good season uh, still very good series by the D-backs still a very impressive series by the D-backs and this game it was a pretty weird game overall because I think this game was mostly about the offense's lack of ability to do anything against Kyle Wright I also thought it was about Mad Bum laboring through six but somehow still putting up a final uh still putting up a good final stat line and Noah Ramirez just not helping out his team at all so those are my big three takeaways from this game offense not doing anything Mad Bum laboring but still giving you a good start and then Noah Ramirez completely screwing it up in the seventh inning so let's first start with Madison Bumgarner because I feel like he labored through this game because every time I looked up There were men on the bases for the Braves, which is a true statement because the first four innings of this game, the Braves had men in scoring position every inning. If you go look at the play-by-play, the Braves either had two men on or uh, a guy that hit a double. Every inning, the first four innings, they were able to create run scoring opportunities for themselves. And Madbum did a great job of, of limiting the hard contact and the damage once he put those guys in run scoring position. Um, so Props to Madbum for not allowing more than two earned runs because watching this game, those first three or four innings, it definitely felt like Madbum was on his way to giving up five or six earned runs. But no, he was able to buckle down and settle down against his Braves team because the Braves hitters, they got seven hits against Madbum. They were really locking in on that fastball cutter, which are his two most uh, used pitches in his arsenal because the fastball cutter combination for Mad Bump today had an average exit velocity of 93 miles per hour. So the Braves hitters did a really good job of getting a lot of hard contact against Madison Bumgarner. It feels like a lot of teams have had a lot of hard contact against Madison Bumgarner, a bunch of warning track fly balls against Mad Bump, but they always hit it hard enough where it stays in play, doesn't go over the fence, and is usually hit to one of those dynamic outfielders that the D-backs have. And 
Even though the Braves hitters were locking in on that fastball and cutter, Matt Bone was still putting Braves hitters down. He had six strikeouts, called strikes plus whiffs. Madison Bumgarner had 23 of those, so he was able to get to two strike counts and put away these Braves hitters. But a lot of those times, Braves hitters were also able to um, return the favor on Matt Bum and at least get a single or a double. So up and down start for Matt Bum, but when your final stat line is still six innings, two earned runs, two walks, and six strikeouts, yeah, you're definitely going to take that start from Matt Bum because when he gave the ball to the bullpen, it was a two-run game, and that's all you can ask for if you're the offense. Your starting pitcher gave you a chance, but unfortunately, Noah Ramirez didn't give the offense a chance to win this game because Noah Ramirez came in, and he immediately didn't look good. He put two guys on the bases, and then Austin Riley, who is... Uh, a, a supreme middle of the order bat has really broken out for the Braves the last few years. He comes in and he smashes a three-run bomb against Noah Ramirez. Braves go up five to nothing, and after that, that was basically a momentum killer. It's not like the D-backs had any momentum. Excuse me, if you're watching the YouTube, there's like a fly just buzzing around my face. It's so annoying. Like I have this whole bedroom, you could fly anywhere, but you want to fly in front of my face as I'm doing a podcast. Get out of here, fly. But felt like the momentum. I mean, like I said, it didn't start for the D-backs, but it felt like they weren't going it felt like they weren't going to gain any momentum after that because the energy, the emotion from this game, it, it just died after that Noah Ramirez home run. I basically conceded this game. I tweeted after that Noah Ramirez home run. Hey, at least the D-backs got the first two games of this series, even though they lose this third one because the Noah Ramirez home run basically felt like this game was over, not only because the Braves go up five runs, but when you also think about the offense in this game, like the offense did absolutely nothing against Kyle Wright, who is an early season Cy Young candidate for the Braves because Kyle Wright, six innings, three hits, zero earned runs. He did have five walks, but he didn't allow any earned runs, and that's the most important thing. The D-backs offense, they had more strikeouts than hits, than hits and walks combined. Think about that. They struck out nine times. They only had eight hits and walks combined. They only had three hits in this game. They were 0 for 4 runners in scoring position. So the D-backs from an offensive standpoint did nothing. Despite it being a two-run game until the seventh inning, the D-backs were never able to get multiple men on the bases and when they did get men on the bases when they did get those few scoring opportunities they were not able to convert usually a strikeout or a double play so bad game by the D-backs offense bad game by Noah Ramirez good game by Massa Bumgarner but now Let's hand out our three moons of the game. After every D-backs win, we hand out three stars. But after a loss, we hand out three moons because the opposite of a star is probably a black hole. But I think that's a little bit too negative of a connotation. So we're going with three moons of the game after losses. And the first moon, I think, has to be given to Noah Ramirez, who gives up that huge three-run jack in the seventh inning to Austin Riley. Like I said, completely changed the whole complexion of the game. I thought this was the game that the D-backs could have won, even though it was getting later and later into the ball game if it's a two-run game as we enter the eighth yeah I'm still confident in the D-backs potential to win that game the second moon of the game I think has to go to Christian Walker who after having a great month of May looks like June is not starting off on the right foot for Christian Walker because he grounded into a double play with two on in the fifth and he struck out with a man on second in the third inning so Christian Walker on the day was 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. I might have to check that man on second and third. Might have been a man on third, but I'm pretty sure it was a man on second in the third inning for Christian Walker. But either way, he had two run scoring opportunities. He was 0 for 2 in those RISP opportunities. And he was also 0 for 4 on the day with two strikeouts. And the third moon of the game goes to Paven Smith, who had an unproductive out with David Peralta in the fourth inning. He had a Paven Smith had an unproductive out after David Peralta led off the fourth inning with a double. Paven Smith was also 0 for 4 at two strikeouts. So the Braves 
beat the D-backs 6-0, but still, D-backs take the series from the Braves 2 out of 3. The Braves were a world, are the reigning World Series champs, so the fact that the D-backs took 2 out of 3 against them, I know Freddie Freeman's not there because Freddie Freeman smacked us around when he was on the Dodgers. I know the Braves are still below 500 team and the D-backs have beat up below 500 teams all season, but this is still the reigning World Series champ, so still a very impressive series by the D-backs. And coming up next, the D-backs have an off day tomorrow, today at the time of you listening, but they play the Pittsburgh Pirates next, so another winnable series by the D-backs. And if they take two out of three there, they'll be right, you know, a little bit closer to 500, which is always the goal. And eventually we got to get above 500. So great D-back series win. Very proud of the boys. And now it's time to take down the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I think we're going to do a crossover with Javier Reyes tomorrow of Locked on Padres. But I think next week we'll do a crossover, a little recap series with Ethan Smith of Locked on Pirates. So be on the lookout for that. And the D-backs, after today's game, they desperately need to fix their offense before they face the Pittsburgh Pirates. And if you want to fix your car, you need to head to rockauto.com because with the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers over 20 years. They have everything you can need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. And we have an important favor to ask you. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On podcasts. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes the survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast. And now let's do... Three negative trends from the D-backs season as we enter June, and we're looking at these trends and basing it heavy in stats. So the first trend I want to talk about, D-backs are terrible at putting the ball in play. Very novel concept, but the D-backs have the second worst ball in play percentage in the National League. Like literally just putting the ball in play, the D-backs are the second worst team, or at least they do it the second fewest amount of times in the National League. Maybe worse is not the right adjective to use, but fewest, the fewest, second fewest amount of times do they put the ball in play in the National League. And when they do put the ball in play, it does not always work on the D-backs' favor. The D-backs actually have the worst BABIP in the National League, which is batting average on balls in play. So it probably means the D-backs either 
um, are pretty reliant on the home run to get a lot of their runs scored. It means whenever they make contact, it's usually turned into easy outs for the defense. So the D-backs, Babbitt, uh, if that got a little bit higher, I think it would also lead to more runs for the D-backs overall because the D-backs 74% contact percentage is below league average. It's just not good enough. The D-backs are not that good of a team at making contact, and they're also below league average in making productive outs. Like we saw that today with Paven Smith when you have a leadoff double by David Peralta. Like the D-backs have to do better productive outs. Like we've seen that a bunch. Like I don't remember who was against, but there was a game um, it might be against the Dodgers where Ketel Marte is that leadoff double in the ninth inning. And then what happens? Three straight outs. We're not even able to move Ketel Marte over to third base. Like the D-backs a lot of times, like the small ball doesn't always work for them. Um, sometimes they try to lay down a bun. If it's not Dalton Varsho, sometimes it doesn't work out. And a lot of times when they get to extra innings, they need they, they win the game by getting base hits. They don't always win the game by doing a little small ball, bunt the guy over to third base, and then hit a sack fly. D-backs usually have to get a hit to score that dude from second, that ghost runner from second extra inning. So it's very interesting that the D-backs are not good at putting the ball in play. And it's a big reason why they have not been a very productive offense this year. Yes, they hit home runs, but in terms of runs being scored, the D-backs have not been doing a good job at that this season because the next trend I want to talk about actually bleeds into this. The D-backs are not good with runners in scoring position. The D-backs have the third worst run scoring percentage in the National League. So what does that mean? When they have men on the base, is the third fewest amount of times in the National League those guys would score. Maybe worst, once again, is not the right adjective. Maybe fewest is better. They also have the second worst strikeout percentage in the National League. So a big reason why those guys aren't coming home when there's men on the bases, like we saw today with Christian Walker when he had a run scoring opportunity, the D-backs like to strike out, okay? The D-backs love to strike out, and a lot of times they strike out with big opportunities, specifically runners in scoring position. And if it's two outs or runners in scoring position, just forget about it because the D-backs have not been good in those situations. They have 33 hits, 257 strikeouts with two outs and runners in scoring position. And some of that makes sense because once it's two outs, like it's just a lot harder to be productive and have positive you know, stats when you have two outs on the board. Like everything is just in the favor of the pitching staff and the defense at that point. But the D-backs have been absolutely terrible with two outs and runners in scoring position. Almost the double, almost double the strikeouts to hits in that situation. And if you look up and down the roster, really the only players who have played at least 20 games for the D-backs that are good with runners in scoring position are Dalton Varsho. Ketel Marte, those two names are not surprising. And Peyton Smith, I think those three players have like an OPS above 800 or something like that with runners in scoring position. So those are definitely the three most trustworthy D-backs when you have runners in scoring position. And the D-backs, like I said, they strike out a lot with runners in scoring position. But one thing they don't do, which is a positive, is they have the third best double play percentage in baseball, they don't hit a ton of double plays. So that's one big positive that they do. They don't kill themselves in in that area. They don't step on their own foot. They don't shoot themselves in the foot in that area. Christian Walker did that, of course, today. That's why he got one of the moons because with runners in scoring position, he grounded into a double play. But that typically does not happen for the D-backs. You do not see that ton. So D-backs are not good at putting the ball in play, and they're bad with runners in scoring position. Those two stats definitely bleed into each other. But this next trend doesn't necessarily do that because – this next trend is the pitching staff does not do a good job of pitching to contact because the pitching staff has a 78% contact percentage allowed, the second worst contact percentage allowed in the National League. And that stat just bleeds into so many other categories because 
When there's two outs on the board, the pitching staff allows a 718 OPS. I find that pretty high, over 700 OPS when there's two outs on the board. Like I said before, that's supposed to be when your pitching staff, your defense has an advantage, when the offense has their back against the walls. But opposing offenses still usually do pretty good with two outs on the board against this pitching staff. And when there's runners in scoring position, the D-backs pitchers allow a 767 OPS. That's way too high, especially considering when we just talked about how the D-backs offense struggles heavily with runners in scoring position. The D-backs pitching staff allows opposing offenses to do pretty good once they get runners in scoring position. And the exit velocity allowed by this pitching staff is above league average. So they're not good with runners in scoring position and they allow hard contact. That is a recipe for disaster because the D-backs have allowed the fourth most home runs in the National League. So whenever the D-backs lose games, it's usually by, you know, a lot of runs over five, six runs because their team, their pitching staff is liable to give up home runs. I think Madison Bumgarner is approaching double-digit home runs allowed on the season if he's not there already. So the D-backs do have a tendency to give up the long ball. But it's okay because we'll talk about later how the D-backs love to hit the long ball. But one big issue for this pitching staff, the main issue for this pitching staff, because I said they they don't pitch well to contact. And that's a big issue because this is a pitching staff that wants to pitch to contact. When you look at Bumgarner, Merrill Kelly, Castellanos, Zach Davies, that's a lot of sinker ball, low velocity pitchers. And they need to feed off ground balls to work through their games. And the thing about the D-backs is their pitching staff, number one in the NL in allowing fly balls and second worst in allowing ground balls. So the D-backs allow a ton of fly balls which probably leads to a ton of home runs and considering this is the pitching staff that needs to keep the ball down and needs a lot of ground outs the fact that they're not getting that and getting a lot of fly balls and allowing hard contact it's just going to be a huge recipe for disaster so the D-backs need to fix their trends they need to do a better job putting the ball in place they need to do a better job of scoring uh, of creating not creating scoring opportunities but when they do have scoring opportunities actually converting those scoring opportunities and the D-backs pitching staff needs to if they're going to pitch a contact get more ground balls because it's way too much elevation and too much hard contact which is leading to those balls going over the fence so those are three trends that the D-backs need to fix as we move into these summer months of the 22 season and we're now going to talk about three positive trends for the D-backs as we enter the month of June. But if the D-backs want to win some jewelry this fall, I'm trying, I had to think about when the World Series is. If the D-backs want to win some jewelry this fall, they're not only going to need to continue these three positive trends that they're that we're about to talk about, they also need to improve on their three negative trends as well. So it's a combination of all that. But I say all that to say this, if you want jewelry, you need to head to bluenow.com because whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Blue Nile has simple online tools that let you choose the diamond shape, size, and clarity, as well as setting style. Blue Nile's bench jewelers will then handcraft her perfect engagement ring. Each ring is one of a kind. Looking for fine jewelry but having trouble choosing? Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7, available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. 
Make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Lockdown listeners, get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Use code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the pod and let's wrap up the podcast by talking about three positive trends for the D-backs as we enter the month of June. And the first trend I want to talk about is the bullpen actually helping out the starters. Now, we know the bullpen ERA has not been good this season, but there are some positives from this D-backs bullpen. So let's talk about some of the positives from this D-backs bullpen. The first positive I want to talk about is the bullpen is number one in the National League in not allowing inherited runners to score. That sounds crazy because we know the D-backs bullpen in terms of ERA. When you think of Mark Melanson, when you think of the Ian Kennedys, it feels like there's a lot of almost blown, if not blown, games. But whenever the bullpen comes in and there's two men on, there's one man on, bases are loaded, the D-backs bullpen is great at helping out their starting pitchers, which starting pitchers are going to love, especially guys like Mad Bump, who always seems to have men on the bases, Guys like Zach Davies or Humberto Castellanos, the Kyle Nelsons and the Mantiplies are those guys' best friends because when they come in the game, they get those shutdown innings. Now, Kyle Nelson wasn't able to do it the other day, but overall, he typically does it, and the bullpen has been a great job at shutting down um, opposing offenses when there's men on the bases when they enter a game, you know, enter an inning halfway through because no bullpen in the National League has seen more high-leverage moments than the D-backs bullpen. Like I said, because they always, you know, always seem to enter the game when there's men on the bases, that makes the leverage a little bit harder. And no bullpen sees more high leverage moments. No bullpen faces more pressurized moments than this D-backs bullpen, which is really shocking. So maybe we actually have to give this bullpen some slack as to why they struggle or seemingly struggle so much because they, they're putting in work. They're not allowing inherited runners to score, and they always come in in the toughest moments of the ball game. Like maybe we gotta give a little bit more slack to the bullpen for the work they're putting in. Second most runners on when the bullpen enters the game. So high leverage moments the most. Second most runners on. Like the D-backs bullpen tries their hardest, and it's not their fault that they're just not the most talented group of guys. Like Mark Melanton. I mean, I think I've seen enough. He probably shouldn't be a closer anymore, and it's not that crazy to say. Like he's 37, 38 years old. So eventually. Uh, maybe we have a changing of the guard at the back end of the bullpen for the D-backs but as long as he's still like 9 for 10 on save opportunities he's still going to be going out there throwing pitches and one other fun stat about the bullpen is about their efficiency the bullpen works pretty quickly third fewest pitches thrown per outing so they come in the high leverage moments there's always runners on the bases and they get those shutdown innings for you I know the bullpen ear rate isn't great I know there's moments where the D-backs bullpen definitely blows games but overall I think the starting pitching at least is pretty happy with the bullpen. The second trend I like to see from the D-backs that I hope it continues is the D-backs smashing home runs. The D-backs have smashed the third most home runs in the National League this season, which is really crazy because guess what? Last year in the National League, the D-backs were second to last in home runs. The D-backs were not smashing home runs. 
I, I, I'm trying to think who led the team in home runs the last season. Like it might have been Ketel Marte or Dalton Varsho, and it was probably like 12 home runs. Like the D backs, I'm not sure if they had a dude hit 20 home runs last season. Like I would have to go back and look at the stats, but the D backs were, I mean, I could probably pull it up uh, pretty quickly on here, but the D backs, that was a huge. Um, flaw in their game like of course you're not going to score runs if you can't hit the ball over the fence like that's not the only way to score runs and because we see it this year the D-backs are still one of the worst teams in baseball um, despite hitting all these home runs so just imagine that this team was not able to hit home runs think about where this offense would be so we need this trend to continue because they haven't been good with runners in scoring position a lot of times if the D-backs get a single you you just see Christian Walker or Pavin Smith hit a two-run bomb that ends up scoring a lot of runs for the D-backs overall. And I'm looking at last year's numbers. If you don't count Eduardo Espar because he was traded halfway through the season, the person who led the team in home runs last season was Ketel Marte, who only played 90 games last season. So just think about how crazy that is. When you look at <coughs> excuse me, the home run leaders for the D-backs this season, Christian Walker already has 13 on the year. Dalton Varsho has eight. David Peralta has eight. And Pavin looks like he's going to break his career high of home runs this season. So the home runs have been huge for the D-backs this season. Their hard contact numbers are up across the board as a team. So it's not a surprise why they're hitting more home runs as a season. And they definitely need to continue that trend because they have not been good with runners in scoring position. They have not been good. At, they have not been good at putting the ball in play, but they are good at hitting the home run, the long ball. And remember, chicks dig the long ball. So hopefully, the D backs keep that up. And then the last trend that the the last trend that I hope the D backs continue is they are great at drawing walks, and they are also great at a not. Excuse me. They are great at drawing walks, and they are also great at not allowing walks. So the offense is great at drawing walks, while the pitching staff is great at not allowing walks. Third best walk percentage taken by the offense. Fourth best walk percentage allowed by the pitching staff. The D-backs know when to take pitches. They know how to get on base, and the pitching staff knows how to throw strikes, and sometimes they get a favorable strike zone from the umpire. But guess what? I don't care about that. Six players have above a league average walk rate from the offense. So six D-backs players are above league average when it comes to walk rate, while four pitchers are above league average when it comes to walk rate allowed. So the D-backs are very good in those areas, like I said. And one of the reasons why the D-backs offense is so good in that area, second fewest swing percentage in me or second lowest swing percentage in major league baseball the d-backs offense does not just go up there and just hack away at pitches like the d-backs are very patient at the plate they like to see a lot of pitches they like to see around four pitches per plate appearance and they do not like to swing the bat when they swing the bat they want to make sure um they're swinging at strikes they're one of the best teams at swinging at strikes they're one of the best one of the best teams at not chasing pitches so i love the patience by the d-backs this season i love the patience by the pitching staff as well because they've been able to throw strikes i think that's i think the reason why the d-backs have not have i think one of the reasons why the d-backs have been so good at not allowing walks this year is because of that philosophy switch with brent strom brent strom wants you to throw more strikes he wants you to attack the zone a little bit more like i said before this d-back staff is trying to pitch the contact so brent strom want you to throw strikes and that's what the pitching staff has done they have not just allowed a ton of free walks this season which has been a positive for them because like we said the d-backs like to give up the long ball sometimes on occasion so if you're allowing walks and giving up the long ball those are two of the three true outcomes that you do not want to be a part of so overall in the season d-backs 
two games below 500 as we're sitting here June 1st, 6.30 p.m. But hey, if you told me on June 1st the D-backs were only going to be two games below 500 and around four games out of the wild card race, I would have told you, sign me up for that every day of the week. And I still think the D-backs are going to finish around 75 wins and maybe stay in the wild card race for the final five to six weeks of the season. If we're able to get that from the D-backs, I think we consider this a fantastic season. And hopefully the most important thing is be competitive through the summer because the summer months are the longest part of the sports year. And just watching that D-backs team last season where it took them two months just to get like their 20, it took them two months into the summer to like get their 25th win. Like they didn't get their 25th or 26th win of the season last year until like the first week of July. The fact that they already have it um, on the first day of June is a huge upgrade from last season. So thank you to the D-backs for giving us a better, more competitive season so far um, through the first two months of 2022. But let's if we're talking about trends, let's keep that game. Uh, let's keep that trend going. Let's keep these games competitive, and let's keep watching good Diamondbacks baseball. Now, that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned into this podcast. Thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day. Go make your second listen, Lockdown MLB, with my pal Sully Baseball. Come back tomorrow for more Diamondbacks news coverage and insight. Hopefully, we talk to Javier Reyes of Locked On Padres doing early seasons early season winners and losers. So tomorrow should be a fun podcast. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!